0: Open up your Bible with me, if you would, to the book of Romans. We're going to continue our series in Romans here. And go to the 12th chapter. We moved along fairly quickly through Romans until we got to chapter 12. And then not so quickly from there. So let's see how it goes from here. So Romans 12, and we're going to jump right in and start reading um, in verse 9. Now we read or went up through About verse 16. But let's go back to 9 and we'll just begin there. Let love be agape love. Let love be without hypocrisy. Detest evil. Cling to what is good. Love one another deeply as brothers and sisters or as family. It's, It's familiar love. Take the lead in honoring one another. Do not lack diligence and zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in affliction. Be persistent in prayer. Share with the saints in their needs. Pursue hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud. Instead, associate with the humble. Do not be wise in your own estimation. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Actually, let me stop there because here's where we're getting into uh, new ground. Um, Backing up a little bit to verse 14. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Was there ever a time in Scripture where it was the right thing to do was to curse? You look at me like you think it's a trick question. <laughs> There's actually several times it was the right thing. So I'll, I'll read several of them to you. I expected it to go over about like it did. <laughs> Acts 13 verse 6 is where I'll begin on this one. 6 through 12. So the background here is they'd been sent out by the Holy Spirit they sailed down to Cyprus. They arrive in verse 5. They proclaim the word of God in the Jewish synagogue. They also had John as their assistant. When they traveled the whole island as far as Pappos, they came across the sorcerer, a Jewish false prophet named Bar-Jesus. He was with the proconsul Sergius Paulius, an intelligent man. This man summoned Barnabas and Saul and wanted to hear the word of God. But Elimas, the sorcerer, that is the meaning of his name, opposes them and tried to turn the proconsul away from the faith. But Saul, also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, stared straight at Elimus and said, You are full of all kinds of deceit and trickery, you son of the devil, an enemy of all that is right. Won't you ever stop perverting the straight paths of the Lord? Now look, the Lord's hand is against you. You are going to be blind and will not see the sun for a time. Immediately a mist and darkness fell on him, and he went around seeking someone to lead him by the hand. Look at the result. Then, when he saw what happened, the proconsul believed, because he was astonished at the teaching of the Lord. So in a sense, that was a curse, wasn't it? Galatians 1, 8 and 9. Paul says... Even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to what we have preached to you, a curse be on him. As we've said before, I now say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to what you received, a curse be on him. Or in 1 Corinthians 16.22, If anyone does not love the Lord, a curse be on him. Our Lord come. So, Is there a time where the appropriate thing is to curse? I don't mean cuss. I mean like Paul said, or like Paul did in Acts. See, the difference is is he was filled with the Holy Spirit. It was a thing of the Lord. And it was a judgment on that man. And then the result was someone coming into the kingdom. What Paul is speaking about here in Romans is is when bless those who persecute you because usually our reaction, what our flesh wants to do is when someone comes against us, well, those dirty dogs, we want to curse them. And he's saying don't do that. The exception to the rule is obviously if the Lord tells you to do something. But that's going to be the exception, not the norm. Right? We bless. We do not curse. And James, he says, you know, You don't have sweet water and bitter water come from the same spring. And out of the same mouth, blessings and cursings should not come. Again, if we're going to have proper hermeneutics and we're going to divide Scripture by other Scripture, we have to look at all the examples and we see that there have been a few times where it is appropriate, but that is not the normal. And interestingly enough, most people that go to curse everyone, they somehow think that they're the exception. And I'm not saying they're not, but they're usually not. How's that? All right, rejoice with those that rejoice. Weep with those that weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud. Instead, associate with the humble. Do not be wise in your own estimation. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Give thought or consideration to what is honorable in everyone's eyes. If possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Now, he puts in here, if possible, because he's recognizing that sometimes it's not possible. But as far as it's possible with you, live at peace with everyone. Friends, in verse 19, do not avenge yourselves. Instead, leave room for God's wrath. Because it is written, vengeance belongs to me, I will repay, says the Lord. How does the Lord repay and what does he mean by vengeance belonging to him? So, when someone does something against us, should we pray, Get him, Lord? We're leaving room for God's wrath. Nope, I don't think that's the thing that he had in mind at all. He says, Leave room for God's wrath, excuse me, vengeance. Belongs to me. Vengeance belongs to the Lord. And this is talking about justice. This is talking about judgment. He says, I will repay. If you'll look down in chapter 13, in verses 3 and 4, where it's talking about government, that is where the room for God's wrath and His justice and judgment is to be carried out. Government is the punisher of those that do evil and blesses those that do well. That's why... See, we, I say this all the time and sometimes I, I am concerned that you'll get tired of me saying this, but it's important that you grasp it. This was not written in chapter and verse. It was written as a flow of thought. As a letter. And so, what he's saying right here, you know, we so often we read chapter 12 and we get to the last verse and we brush our hands off and we're like, well, that's that. But the very next four verses are a part of what he just said. And to understand those four verses, you need to also look at the verses that came right in front of it. So when he says, vengeance belongs to me, I will repay. We're down in verse 3 of chapter 13, which we'll get there a little bit later. He says, For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Do you want to be unafraid of the one in authority? Do what is good and you will have its approval. For it is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, because it does not carry the sword for no reason. For it is God's servant, an avenger, that brings wrath on the one who does wrong. That sounds an awful lot like verse 19, doesn't it? Leaving room for God's wrath. And so, government... Proper government or godly government or right or just government punishes the evildoer. And I don't want to get ahead of myself and start talking about government too much because we got we have those scriptures coming up and we'll we'll do that. But let's keep reading here in verse twenty. Actually, in Genesis, before I read more, in Genesis nine, verse six, where they come off of the ark, God tells Noah and his sons that At every person whose life you take, your life will be required. If you shed man's blood by man's blood, your blood will be shed. And that was where capital punishment was first instituted by the Lord for government to be the avenger of wrath or the Lord's wrath, to be his servant in doing that. All right, verse 20. If your enemy is hungry, feed him, not poison, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. For in so doing, you will be heaping fiery coals on his head. Fiery coals on his head. Sounds like a great thing to happen to your enemies, doesn't it? Their heads on fire. Great, now they won't bother me. What is that? Why would He say, nourish them? That's what food does. Water them. Refresh them. That's what water does. Why would He say to do that when what your flesh wants to do is the exact opposite, right? Well, fine, you're going to do that, then I'm going to do this. How dare you do that? You know, and and retaliatory, and we push back and, and seek Personal vengeance. Pay good for evil. So uh, he goes on and he says, For in, doing so, in so doing, you will be heaping fiery coals on his head. If you're kind to those who mistreat you and are mean to you, do you think they're going to go away thinking about that? Like a glowing ember. It's going to be there. And it's going to be ha- getting their attention. Like, huh. Because they, they know how they would have done it right they know that that's not what I would have done blessed them you know bless those that curse you persecute you and now actually feed him and be kind to them this is a quote out of proverbs 25 verses 20 and 21 is these verses here that if your enemy's hungry feed him if he's thirsty give him something to drink and so doing you will be heaving fiery coals on his head but it leaves out the next line that's actually in proverbs The next line says this, and the Lord will reward you. And the Lord will reward you. Or the word reward is also the word complete. The Lord will complete you. Or see that you get yours. Rather than trying to get even, when you bless them, when you nourish them, when you refresh them, the Lord will reward you. And He'll make sure that you get what's just to you. See, so many times we think of justice only in the negative sense of them getting what they deserve. But it's also an issue of justice that you get what you deserve in the positive sense. When the enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but what you deserve based on what Jesus did for you is life and life more abundantly. It's not just that you don't have life and have it more abundantly when it's been provided for you. So he makes sure that you gets yours. Uh, You gets yours. Yeah, that's real good English, but you get the point. If we could just say it this way, our faith operates by love, and if we'll just stay in the love of God, we'll see those things, life and life, abundantly flowing to us. Maybe not from the person who's persecuting you or the guy with the fire on his head, but the Lord will still make sure that you get what's just to you. Verse 21, do not be conquered by evil, but conquer evil with good. See, take the offensive is how the the one translation I read. By the way, I would like to read. Last week, (laughs) I read to you from that Phillips translation that I brought. And I read Romans 12. And I was puzzled how that, man, it just wasn't nearly as powerful as I thought when I read it in my office. Like, And if you remember, I read that last line like two or three times. I said I was getting the emphasis wrong. And truth be told, when I was done and pretended like I got it right, I'm going, well, that was weird. (laughs) That didn't make sense at all. And so I go back home to the office and I'm like, i got to read that again. Well, here in that Bible I was reading to you, there was, um, there was a, it was a misprint. And it was missing an entire line. So that's why it wasn't making sense. No matter what kind of emphasis I was putting on where. So let me read those two verses to you now. With eyes wide open to the mercies of God, I beg you, my brothers, as an act of intelligent worship, to give Him your bodies as a living sacrifice consecrated to Him and accepted by Him. Don't let the world around you squeeze you into its own mold, but let God remold your minds from within so that you may prove in practice that the plan of God for you is good, meets all His demands, and moves towards the goal of true maturity. That reads so much better than last week. Hallelujah. All right, so we got that one straightened out. I got home and I asked, I forget which one, maybe it was Carson or someone. I was like, did that make sense to you? And I am like, no. Well, yeah, it didn't me either. Alright, so we're going to overcome evil. We're going to conquer evil with good. We're going to take the offensive. And instead of cursing the darkness, we're just going to turn on the light. Now he goes right on with what he's saying. Let everyone submit to the governing authorities. Let everyone submit to the governing authorities. You know, the word submission and submit is a, very much of a misunderstood word. And it's a hated word. And people don't like it because they get the wrong idea about it. And the word submit or submission simply... The word sub means under. The word mission is pretty clear. Under the mission. Right? So if you are an officer in the military and submission is required of you, it means you're under their mission. Whatever... Whoever from the top, wherever the mission came down from, you're under that mission. That's what submission is. And the problem is, is that people have equated, they think submission and obedience is synonymous with each other, and they're not. They're totally not the same thing, and they can be actually unhooked from each other. You can be completely in submission, but not obedient, or you can be obedient and not in submission, I'll make it it simple for you. For those of you that have children or had children, you know there's times that they obey, but they're not in submission. right? So you can force obedience, but you can't force submission. Because that's a thing of the heart. That's something only you can choose to do. You can make them obey, but you can't make them submit. So sometimes a child will obey but not submit. Or if a father, the head of the home, would ask one of his children to go kill the neighbor. You know, they, they really hacked me off today. I want you to go over and just put a knife right in his back. Well, they should not obey that, right? That would be wrong. So, while they're in submission to dad, I can't obey that. That's wrong. So you can be in submission to someone without in obedience to them. And so, here, one of the things that Actually, I'll give you some examples of this. I think you're going to need, need some examples. If you uh, if go over to Acts 4, and I'll show you something here, what I'm talking about. So let everyone submit to the governing authority, since there is no authority except from God. And the authorities that exist are instituted by God. That's our first verse in Romans 13. But in Acts chapter 4, if you'll look down... So Peter and John um, had been arrested because they they healed that guy, the lame guy. And so everyone gathers around, they begin preaching. And anyhow, long story short, they get arrested. The authorities, Jewish authorities, tell them they may not minister like this anymore. And look down in verse 18 of chapter 4. So they called them and ordered them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. Peter and John answered them. Whether it's right in the sight of God for us to listen to you rather than to God, you decide. For we are unable to stop speaking about what we have seen and heard. And then if you'll look on in chapter 5, look at verse 19. So they went out and they began to preach some more. And then they were taken and put in prison. And in verse 19, it says, An angel of the Lord opened the doors of the jail during the night, brought them out, and said, Go and stand in the temple and tell the people all about this life. Hearing this, they entered the temple at daybreak and began to teach. Had the authorities told them not to do this? But an angel of God shows up and says, Do it. The exact opposite. Well, is Peter just not in submission to government, maybe? Maybe that's what's going on. Let's, let's read a little bit further. Look over into verse 20, 29. And so they, again, get on their case. Peter and the apostles replied, we must obey God rather than people. But if you look now all the way over in First Peter chapter 2, let's see something that Peter wrote. So the same guy that did those things is now saying in 1 Peter 2 something to the contrary. Well, someone went and moved Peter in my Bible again. Look at verse 13. Submit in chapter 2. 1 Peter 2.13 Submit to every human authority because of the Lord, whether to the emperor as the supreme authority or to governors as those sent out by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do what is good. So here Peter says, Submit to them. But over here he didn't obey them. So, is this in contradiction to each other? No, not at all. He is submitted to the authorities, but he's also submitted to the Lord. And when he submits himself to the the higher authority, to the Lord, he's not doing this because he's not submitted to his government. He's just simply, he is in submission to the government, but he's not going to obey them. In fact, the word says lack of submission. Lack of submission is rooted in pride, and you can find that in 1 Peter 5. Uh, 4 and 6 if you want to look it up later. Lack of submission is rooted in pride. And I don't believe that Peter lacked in submission. So Let's come back here to Romans 13 and let's start over on this again. Let everyone submit to the governing authorities, since there is no authority except from God, and the authorities that exist are instituted by God. There are four primary forms of government upon the earth that were instituted by God. First, there's self-government. You will stand before the Lord and answer for you. You have the power and ability to self-govern. Right? So there's that. Then we've got family government. Right? The, the, the husband and the wife. There's roles. There's a head. And then there's children. And the Word says, in fact, in, in Colossians 3, maybe I should just read it to you. Because I want to, these things are easily understood when we look at the home or when we look at the church, but as soon as people read these verses in in Romans 13, they go all wacky and decide that you have to obey, I know most of you in this house don't feel that way, but they think that you have to obey government no matter what it says, in all circumstances, and we know that that's simply just not the case. There's a time to obey them, there's also a time to obey or submit to a higher authority, Which would mean disobeying them. The people that that think that it reads in the first five verses here that you are unlimited obedience to civil government is taught, they are imposing that into the text. It does not say that in Romans 13. In fact, there is nowhere in Scripture that says that you need to obey government unlimited conditions. Nowhere. All right? Does the Word tell us that? Well, let's just go to Colossians 3.18 and I'll I'll let that be answered by itself. Wives, submit yourselves. Notice it doesn't say, husbands, make your wives submit. It's something they choose to do. Wives, submit yourselves to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. In fact, if you'd read it in, in Ephesians, it says, in everything. And it doesn't even give the as in the Lord clause. But because we're good students of the Word... We go back and we study other places and we look. We know that it would be wrong for a wife to violate Scripture and violate the command of God and to do wrong and to go out and steal or kill or, or any of those things if her husband's asking her to do those things, even though it says submit to them in everything. We all know, well, yeah, of course, there's exceptions. When it violates God's law, then those things are absolutely out. Well, here in Colossians, it says, wives, submit yourselves to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. There's your clause. As is fitting in the Lord. But in Ephesians, it doesn't say that. But we can still add it there because it says it here. Also, he goes on, He says, husbands, love your wives. Don't be bitter toward them. Children, obey your parents in everything for this pleases the Lord. So we see a government here. We see a structure. And we know that Heads of households, that position is ordained by God. It's a godly position. But does that mean that every head of households is a God-ordained person? No. No. We have horrible fathers out there that don't deserve the title at all. And just because the position is ordained by God doesn't mean they are. Or that they're doing God's will or carrying out the way godly home would should look. All right. So then, that was uh, number two. Number three, the third form of government is church government, and we find that in Hebrews chapter thirteen, verse seven. You can see um, he makes a statement about obeying those that are leading you, or depending on the translation you have, it'll read a little bit differently. But let's just look at it. Hebrews, or I'll read it to you. Hebrews thirteen seven. Obey your leaders and submit to them. It says both things here. Since they keep watch over your souls. So this isn't talking about civil government. This is talking about your pastors and your apostles and your your leaders in that way. They keep watch over your souls as those who will give an account. So that they can do this with joy, not with grief. For that would be unprofitable for you. But we all know that if your pastor or your leaders ask you to violate Scripture and to do wrong, we, it's an automatic. We all know, well, of course, they shouldn't do that. Of course, you shouldn't submit and obey to that. And, but yet, when it comes to government, people go, oh, but they have the unlimited clause. No, they're just like the home. And they're the fourth primary form of government is civil government. Right? So you've got self-government, you've got family government, you've got church government, and then you have civil government. And in civil government, there are... Clear limitations placed upon them right here in this text in Romans 13. So, I'll just start at the top again and I'll, I'll begin reading in verse 1. Let everyone submit to the governing authorities, since there is no authority except from God. And by the way, Hosea 8.4, this, this is the Lord speaking, and he says, he says, they have installed selected leaders and installed kings that I have not appointed or chose. So is the place of a king anointed? Yes. But were those guys? No. So the Hitlers of the world, or the Bidens of the world, are not anointed by the Lord. Especially not when they're put there by fraud or by other things. That doesn't mean that we shouldn't honor them, or even be in submission to our government. But we'll, we'll cover more of that as we go here. It says, all these authorities that exist are instituted by God, so they were his idea. In verse 2, so then, the one who resists the authority is opposing God's command, and those who oppose it will bring judgment on themselves. Obviously, he is talking about when that government is set up in God's way. Because otherwise, Peter would have been brought judgment on himself, right, for opposing and going against what his leaders told him to do. He said, no, we're going to obey God rather than man. So, this is speaking of godly government. Verse 3, For rulers are not a tear to good conduct, but to bad. There's a reason those of you that speed break when you see the police beside the, the, the road, right? Right? You see, you go, whoa, we've got to slow down. Because you don't want to have that conversation with him. Some of you look at me like, oh. The funny thing is, is that even when you're driving the speed limit, you'll break. You just want to make sure. I done sidetracked myself. Let's back up. Verse 3, for rulers are not a tear to good conduct, but to bad. Do you want to be unafraid of the one in authority? Do what is good, and you will have its approval. Again, this is right government. Verse 4, for it is God's servant. This word servant is the word deacon. Or minister. I mean, it's an ordained just as much as a deacon of a church is. Right? Or a minister. Servant. For you, it's God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid. Because it does not carry the sword for no reason. And just FYI for those people that think capital punishment is wrong. Swords were not given to torture. The punishment of a sword is death. Swords weren't given for spankings. Right? It was capital punishment. This is God's servant, God's justice. All right? He goes on and says, For it is God's servant, same word again, an avenger that brings wrath on the one who does wrong. Therefore, you must submit not only because of wrath, but also because of your conscience. So we see here that good government, godly government, government the way God has in mind, is one that blesses those who do good, and punishes those who do evil. But we don't have to look far to see government that's gone wrong, do we? Or it's, it's punishing those who do good. You know, 2020 was a perfect example of that. Punishing people that went to church, punishing people that were doing good, versus helping those who were doing evil. So there are clear limitations right here. You know, an interesting thing, some people go, well, yeah, but the government's saying to do this, and so I'm absolved of, of the guilt of this thing. Not so fast. Do you remember the Nuremberg Trials, where after World War II, All of Hitler's cronies and guys, they started picking these people up and arresting them. They went all over the world and hid. But they found them and brought them to trial. And these guys' claim was that we were just following orders. And the truth is, if we didn't follow orders, we'd probably get the axe ourselves. So we were just following orders. But that didn't fly. They were held accountable for their actions. And the same thing is true in our military today has been it's not always because there's we can look at cases on both sides of it but where you are still personally responsible for what you do you can't just say i was following orders you know the general told me to go kill the neighbors no there's rules of war right and so i don't care what he said to you there's now higher laws at play and it's the same way in every other category that there's always higher laws that you have to look to and submit to and obey. And in the process, it might cause you to disobey or even resist something else. You know, just a few ex- more examples of this that I'll mention. Remember the, in Exodus chapter 1, the midwives that Pharaoh said, you guys need to kill all the babies being born. And they wouldn't do it. And it's, they disobeyed a direct order. And he had the right and the authority to make decrees. But he made a wrong decree. And so they disobeyed. And it says the Lord blessed them and gave them families f- for that. For that very reason. He blessed them for their <laughs> disobedience, but their obedience to a higher moral law. Or how about in Hebrews eleven twenty three, where it talks about Moses' parents uh, in that same time frame. And it says that they did not fear Pharaoh's command, and instead hid him. And that was blessed by the Lord. It was considered an act of faith. It's in the faith chapter. Or we could look, you know, I already talked about Peter, where they didn't obey. It's better to obey God rather than man. Um, Daniel. The book of Daniel is a great, great place to see examples of this. You have the three Hebrew men that were thrown into the fiery furnace. Now, they stayed honorable in all of it. They didn't call them names. They didn't none of this stuff. They were like, oh, king, and all of this stuff. you know. But they still, we're not going to do that. We can't do that. We're not going to obey that. And the Lord spared their lives and was in the fire with them. Or Daniel, when they said... You know what? No more prayer. No more prayer. It says, once he knew that law was put in place, he deliberately and openly broke that law. After knowing it was in place, he goes and open He could have prayed with his window shut and no one would have known. But in the sight of everyone, three times, he submits to a higher law and breaks this one in fact in Daniel 6 in verse 22 he says something that I think is very telling he says this when the king comes to get him and he says you know he spent the night with the lions and um, now the king shows up and yells out his name he says I'm here he says I have committed no crime against you it was the king's law that he broke but what we see he says I have committed no crime against you an immoral law or an unjust law is no law at all, according to that. There's no law at all. Alright, let's continue here. Therefore, uh, verse 5, Therefore you must submit, not only because of wrath, but also because of your conscience. And for this reason you pay taxes, since the authorities are God's servants continually attending to these tasks. How many of you, that's your favorite verse? (laughs) I hear a groan. Yeah, I understand your pain, but we still pay it. Pay your obligations to everyone. Taxes to those you owe taxes. Tolls to those you owe tolls. Respect to those you owe respect. And honor to those you owe honor. All of that said in relation to governmental authorities. It goes on and says, do not owe anyone anything except to love one another. So that's the one debt that you can have outstanding continually, because right? you can't pay that one back. And by the way, some people think that this scripture means you shouldn't borrow money, and I don't, I don't believe that's the case, because in scripture, it does say that, you know, that you're a slave to the lender. And it says some things like that, that borrowing money can be a curse, but it also gives them parameters on how to lend money. And if borrowing money was sin, he certainly wouldn't tell them how to lend it. It'd be like saying, you can't visit a prostitute, but you can be one. That doesn't make sense at all, right? So he isn't saying, you because we have places where he says, if you're going to lend money, do it this way. Don't, Don't do interest this way. And it gives them how to do it. Well, if you owe somebody something, that means that it has come due and you didn't pay it. So if you borrow money, you don't owe that until it's due. At the next month's payment, that payment is due. And if you don't pay that payment, you now owe someone. Before that there's no court there's no nobody anywhere in the land that would say you owe. No, the agreement was I don't owe that yet. I don't owe that until the 15th of the next month, right? So make sure that you stay current on your don't owe anyone anything. Except to love one another. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. The commandments. Do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not covet. And any other commandment are summed up by this commandment. Love your neighbor as yourself. And I just find it fascinating that he, he's talking to the individual. He, the context is civil government. And he immediately brings the law of God into view. Giving them a standard of measurement. What's good and what's not. Well, obviously, this is good. And he just is saying, look, you guys, you walk in love with your neighbor. Love your neighbor as yourself. Verse 10, love does no wrong to a neighbor. Love, therefore, is the fulfillment of the law. Or as one person explained it, if you will walk in love, you won't break any of the other Ten Commandments. If you'll walk in love with your neighbor. You can't walk in love while you're stealing from him. Or committing adultery with his wife. For you can't walk in love while you're framing him and taking him to court. Right? So the other commandments are automatically fulfilled if we'll just walk in agape love. Besides this, since you know the time, what time is it? God's time? It's late, isn't it? It's deep into this thing by now. Because they thought... We're about to wrap this up. And here we are, 2,000 years later. If they were ready to wrap it up then, we're, up, we're on the edge. So, Since you know the time, it is already the hour for you to wake up from sleep because now our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. The night is nearly over and the day is near. So let us discard the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light armor of light let us walk with decency as in the daytime not in carousing and drunkenness not in sexual impurity and promiscuity not in quarreling and jealousy but put on the Lord Jesus Christ look at your neighbor and say put on the Lord Jesus Christ put on so it's something that you do It's something you step into. It's it's an action you take. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. Make no provision for the flesh. Just a little bit earlier in his letter, he talked about not being conformed to this age but renewing our minds. A renewed mind doesn't make provision for the flesh. Remember, context. Context. What has he said already? Because he's building. Building block upon building block. And building his, his letter to them. So he's saying, put on the Lord Jesus. Make no provision for the flesh to gratify his desires. What do you think about? The words that As a man thinketh, so is he, right? That what you focus on. What you spend time filling your mind with. You'll probably start doing that at some point. Maybe it's because you're interested in something. Maybe for some of you, you know, you decided, hey, I'm going to take up crocheting. Right? And so you begin to think about it. Maybe you watch YouTube videos of it. And more and more, pretty soon you find yourself some th- those whatever you use tools to crochet, right? I don't know why I'm using this this example, but here we are. And so you move in that direction. I, re- I remember... When I was single, I was living in Colorado. This was before we were married. We were going to get married, but we weren't yet. And so I had gone out 8 months in advance to prepare and and I was living with my cousin. We were sharing a bedroom. And we had we, we had rented this house and there was like a bunch of single young guys living there. And on the walls, on my wall, I had pictures of dirt bikes people doing, like, whips and all these cool tricks, right, on dirt bikes. That was on my wall. But on my cousin's wall, he had pictures of golfing. Now, we both had a dirt bike, and we both had golf shoes, and we both had clubs, right? But his focus, what he's thinking about is golfing. And what I'm thinking about is on my wall, is a dirt bike. And it was interesting, fascinating to me to watch what started happening with the two of us. He started spending more and more and more time golfing, and I started spending more and more and more time dirt biking. As you think, so you are, right? And so it wasn't long, and his dirt bike, all it did was collect dust. and my golf clubs, all they did was collect dust. Because we moved in the direction of the dominant thoughts in our mind. And if you give way to a thought, it starts to grow. That's why it's so important that in talking about a renewed mind is so important that if you have a thought presented to you from the enemy that you take that thing captive to the obedience of the Lord Jesus Christ and recognize that thought is not from me. It is from the enemy. He presented it to me. It doesn't belong to me. He'll try to convince you it's your thought and that it came from within you and if you'll agree with that suddenly you take on the identity of that thought. Oh, I just must be that. I remember hearing the story of someone... In fact, um, I even experienced this back in uh, in Colorado. We went through some difficult times and we got really, really in trouble financially and all these things. And one day I am walking to my house from my in-law's house. And this is like when things are really, really bad... We're, we're just being, like, hit from every angle. Some of it was from our own making. Some of it was just an attack of the enemy. And as I'm walking to the house, there's nobody at home because my family's at the in-laws, the thought crosses my mind, just go in there and get your gun and end it. And for a moment, I had this kind of horror on the inside of, am I suicidal? Well, guess what? The enemy's right there to tell you, yeah, you're suicidal. Right? Because that's what suicidal people do. They think about killing themselves. And you just thought about killing yourself. But I was also sharp enough to know that, you know what? I've never before had this thought. This is not who I am. And that thought does not belong to me. And so I took authority over it immediately. In the name of Jesus, I bind that thought and take it captive to the obedience of the Lord Jesus Christ. And i absolutely will do no such thing and and it was over no more was it presented to me none of that but my point is is when the enemy presents a thought to you if you will take ownership of it and think it's from within you rather than from without because come on who lives within you if you're born again so your spirit and the spirit of christ is not going to take part in any darkness so when an evil thought comes, it doesn't matter if it's lust, it doesn't matter if it's theft, it doesn't matter whatever. It's from outside. And it's being presented to you and then you can recognize that's not from me. That's from beneath. I am from above. And so that doesn't belong and you have no place in me. That's what I'll say to thoughts when they're presented to me. You have no, you have no place in me. I'm from above and you are from beneath. And I'll just speak to them that way. And so it's very, very important that you realize and recognize that your renewed mind is the mind of Christ on the inside of you. And that as you take the Word and mold and shape your thinking, your actions will begin to line up with that. And everything that we read in chapter 12 about Christian ethics, love and hating evil and working all our way down, not, not being retaliatory and seeking revenge, not um, shirking... Our primary duty of love, but walking in the fulfillment of that, putting on Christ, putting away darkness, and walking in the Spirit of Christ is all of that comes from a renewed mind and a renewed thinking that is feeding on the Word of God. Uh, worship team, you can come. I'm going to read this while they come. I'm going to close with this scripture, and I'm jumping ahead in Romans. But in light of what we did earlier in taking authority over some things, I want to read this to you. It says, Now may the God of hope, God of hope, the word hope means confident expectation. The God of confident expectation. Fill you with all joy and peace as you believe. Everyone say, as I believe. As I believe. The believing is so important. We prayed. We took authority over some things. We cut it off tonight. And I believe it's finished. That's finished. We're moving on to better and bigger things. So as you believe, so that you may overflow with hope or overflow with confident expectation. What might it look like if you overflowed with confident expectation? It's going to get on everyone around you, isn't it? If you're overflowing with that, I mean, if you take a cup and you set it in the middle of the table and you begin to fill it until it's overflowing, what happens to everything else on the table? It gets some of what the cup's having. So be overflowing with that confident hope. How does it say this is going to happen? By the power of the Holy Spirit. So it's not a natural bootstrap thing. It is a God thing. Look at your neighbor and tell them this. You are God's story. You are God's story. Father, I thank you that you have given us your truth and your word. Thank you for your spirit. Thank you for the spirit of victory, of joy, of hope that passes all understanding. We rejoice in this, Lord. Father, I ask you to take these things that we learned tonight, the things that we've stepped into and seal them in our spirit by your spirit. And when we begin to move away from that, Father, arrest us in our thinking and bring us back to the the rock, to our strong tower. Remind us of your faithfulness again and I bless you for it in Jesus' name. Let's worship him. Praise God.
1: So I've got to tell a quick story. So I was down in Virginia this past week for a few days. And uh, my dad's down there. He's 92. He has dementia, so he has a hard time remembering. And my sister heard the song, The Blessing. And uh, the way that starts is how my dad, as a pastor, would end every sermon. The Lord bless you. He'd always use that scripture at the end. So so then when she was listening to the song, it talked about, may his favor be upon your family, their children, their children, their children. Because he doesn't remember well, she made a book for him. And in that book, she put pictures of all the family, you know, the children and their children and their children. And she labeled them all for him. So when he was listening to the song, he starts off and he's like weeping because he used to use that scripture. And then he got to see his whole family, extended family, people that he had forgotten that were part of it. And it was just something real special. So, so because of that, you're stuck doing the blessing tonight. Is that okay with you? And I want to speak it over you. I think after Sid prayed like he did, I want to speak a blessing over you because we're free from the junk that was coming against us. And this is what God says about you, okay? Good, good?
0: Well good the Lord looked at the church service and he said it was very good so go be blessed we have a time of fellowship downstairs as you go everyone's invited one way that we love God
2: is by loving one another
3: Well, praise the Lord.
0: The
1: red one of the us
3: Amen. Let's, let's praise the Lord. Glory to God. Hallelujah. He's worthy of our praise. I am always so glad to come to Church of the Word Saturday night to see my family. It is the best time of the whole week. Absolutely. It really is. <laughs> and this and to worship together, to assemble together, to, sh- to see your faces, and just to know that we belong to a local family, that we're loved. And take care of one another it's so beautiful we are the most blessed people on the face of the earth amen always always encourage you in the worship in the word of god uh in our worship time starting it off because the word of god is forever settled in heaven it's the same yesterday today and forever it should be a big big part of our life every day right psalms 119 you know the word of god spiritually feeds you transforms your mind, helps you grow up into a mature Christian, right? The Word of God is super important. And Psalms 119, the longest psalm, is chock full of gold nuggets. And I'm just going to give you some. Tonight, it says in verse 89, forever, O Lord, your Word is settled in heaven. Your faithfulness endures to all generations. You establish the earth and it abides. Oh, how I love that your word it is my meditation all the day how sweet are your words to my taste sweeter than honey to my mouth through your word i get understanding therefore i hate every false way your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path your testimonies i have taken as a heritage forever for they are the rejoicing of my heart i've inclined my heart to perform your statutes forever to the very end. I love your word. When's the last time you said that? I love your word, Lord. You are my hiding place and my shield. I hope in your word. Direct my steps by your word. Glory to God. You know, culture likes to train you and conform you, but let the word conform you and train you. Let the word of God that's forever settled, it doesn't change in different cultures or generations. It remains the same. It's the absolute on the earth today. Amen. Well, let's stand up together. Do you love the word of God? Yes. Do you love to worship the Lord? Well, you're in the right place tonight because that's what we're gonna
0: Father, we bless you and we do adore you. We thank you, Lord, that you are good. Every day, every morning, every noontime, every night, every evening, all the time, Father, that you are good and we recognize your goodness and we bless you. Thank you for your joy being upon us tonight, in us and on us, in Jesus' name. We have, uh, you may be seated, just so that you can see better as we do this next thing that we're going to do. Those of you that are going to City Gate in the morning, I would invite you to come up and stand in the front here. Everybody that's going to City Gate, come join us up front. It's called the Army of the Lord for a reason. There's a lot of them. You know, what, uh, what we do down in City Gate and is important, right? and it's what happens when the love of God takes you over and possesses you and you begin to minister to others and so uh, the things, the lives that are changed, the people that are ministered to, the children that are impacted um, we've heard from many of you many times of about how much how it's touched you, how it's changed you, how it's shaped you, right? And in my experience at least, when I go overseas on the missions field, I feel like often I'm the most impacted, even though I went to impact people. And then I hear that from you here on a local level, right? And so uh, it's just so wonderful to be part of a family that takes these things as, uh, as an important, something that's valuable. So if you would, just stretch out your hands to them, to the Lord, and let's pray over them. Father, I thank you that you have given us these people, this family, to be a part of. Thank You, Lord, that You have given us Your name and that we can minister Your love to the people around us in our communities. I lift up each one of these here, Father, that are going tomorrow, that You would just come upon them with Your Holy Spirit give them eyes to see into the spirit realm and understanding to know how to minister, bring into their remembrance the right Scriptures, the right encouraging words, for the right person. Lord, I ask you for divine encounters as they go, that you would put the right people at the right place to bump into them and that they would be able to minister your love, minister freedom, minister deliverance, and bring people into the kingdom. Father, you have you said you translated us from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. So we just call forth light in Columbia. And in every place that you go, are you guys going to Lancaster as well? Lancaster as well, Father, I thank you that you go before us and that you send angels alongside of them to minister in your spirit, by your spirit, in Jesus' name, and amen. 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 Glory to God. All right, we'll release the uh, children to their classes and the teachers to their places, and while they're going, I invite you to greet someone, welcome someone, invite those who have been sick back into the service.
2: Well, good evening again to everyone. I am especially glad to be here tonight. How about you? I feel like I've missed, well, and I have, I've missed several Sundays or Saturdays this month due to chicken pox, but now that's all behind us. Hallelujah. Anyhow, well, welcome to Church of the Word International. If it's your very first time, we'd like to just see you wave your hand at us a bit. Wow. We, we know you're <laughs> a regular. No one here for the first time. All right. Well, we are going to prepare to return the tithe, so if you need a cash envelope, amen. We're excited to obey the word, aren't we? If you need a cash envelope for your giving, you can raise your hand, and the ushers will bring you one. I'm believing God to say the right things tonight. I always am, but... I'm just going to ask you to believe with me. You know, he wants a message tonight. He wants to get something across to you tonight, even more than I do. So my faith is on that I say what ministers to you, what you need to hear. And, you know, a couple weeks ago when I was here last, we started talking about how God is a God of increase. And aren't you glad about that? He's not a God of decrease. He is not the one that wants to see you going backwards. He wants to see us coming up. It's the thief that, that takes, not the Lord. That's not his heart. So I had asked the question. Why don't I have you go to Psalms 115 while I'm, while I'm sort of going in review? But I had asked the question, do you believe it's God's will for you to prosper? Remember that? And I'm asking you again because I kind of wanted to spend a little bit, and I just wanted to, it's good to review, but not, don't rush past that question. I know many of you, you know, we may think, well, you know, yep, yep, that's in my, that's in my set of beliefs here. That's on the list. No, don't rush past it. Um, do you really believe in your heart of hearts God wants you to prosper? Because that is the foundation for, for everything you're going to do in finances. It's, it's, if you have the least little bit of gray area or uncertainty in that, it's going to undermine your faith. And as I was pondering this and kind of meditating on this this afternoon, the Lord brought this up on the inside. He said, what you make room for, you won't get free from. And so if you're making room for, well, yeah, you know, God might want me in poverty. There might be some little part that thinks God wants, like, like that would be too much, like that would be too much abundance or like, super wealthy. No, that, that wouldn't be God. Like, maybe there's a little of the part of that poverty spirit on the inside. If you're making room for that, you, you can't get free from it. So we want to really make sure that it's solid on the inside so that we can have faith to increase, that we really believe God wants us to flourish, and he wants us to increase and in every area and every way. And Psalms 115, verse 14 says... May the Lord cause you, and my Bible says, flourish. Now, the King James I feel says it a lot stronger. It says, um, "The Lord shall increase you; He shall increase you more and more, you and your children." That's really that's a little bit stronger. That's saying it's gonna happen. There's no ifs ands or buts. May you be blessed by the Lord, the Maker of heaven and earth. So, there's a scripture. The Lord's telling, saying he wants to increase us. You know, one of the first instructions given to mankind was what? Be fruitful and multiply. There's no going backwards in that. So he's telling us, Well, that tells us some things about the nature and the heart of God, even in that first instruction. He wants us to increase. He wants us to produce. He wants us to not just stay where we started, right? He wants us to multiply what's been given to us. Just in that statement, be fruitful and multiply right from the beginning. How about in Third John, verse 2, says, Beloved, I wish above all things, above all things, that you do what? Prosper and be in health, even as your soul prospers. So there is a connection to the inside and then the outside. So we also said, and, and talked about how if God didn't want us to, to prosper or to have wealth, why did He give us so many scriptures on how to get it, how to produce that? And we know in Deuteronomy He says that He, it's the Lord your God who gives you the power to get wealth. So I talked about how there are laws, and that's not original with me. Uh, you know, there's nothing new under the sun. But you know, laws of increase. And principles of prosperity, as Keith Moore puts it. And one I'm not going to put these in like order, but I do feel like this is the first one. <laughs> I just it's my personal feeling on this is number one, turn to Proverbs three, and I'll tell you number one: number one: laws of increase, God first. honor the Lord. I mean, these kind of all, all the things I'm saying, they, they, they come together. Who do you serve? You know, Scripture tells us that we are to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, all of our soul, all of our mind and strength. And we don't serve anyone other than Him. So you've got to make a decision. You've got to decide who you serve. Do you serve yourself or do you serve the Lord? You know, who, who's first? Mine and my stuff and my family and my ideas and my plans are God's. We have to make a decision. And that has to, if we want to increase, that is the number one crossroads. God first. Honor the Lord. So Proverbs 3, verse 9. Well, how do we honor the Lord? Well, we're going to read about it. It says, honor the Lord with your wealth. That's pretty straightforward. With the firstfruits of all your increase. Uh, my Bible says crops, or you could say yield. So we do what? We honor the Lord with our material things, and then what happens? What does it say here, then following? It says, then your barns will be filled. So do you see that? <laughs> honor the Lord with your stuff, then how do we increase? We put him first, Then it says your barns will be filled to overflowing, and your vats will brim over with new wine. You know, I saw some things here. Uh, Barns, that's storehouses. That's that's Well, now you know you could say, well, I'm not a farmer. That doesn't apply to me. Well, yes, it does uh, because yield, increase, all that you come, all that's increased to you. I see this as scripture for why we should have a savings. Well, if you don't have one, how's he going to increase it, right? So honoring the Lord brings uh, increase to you. That's scripture for that. How about in Matthew 6.33, we're told what to seek first, that there's supposed to be a first. Seek first the kingdom of God, and then all these things are added unto you. So we see that the first principle is super, super important. And you can't get away from tithing when you're talking about these things either. Money sort of fleshes out what's first. It always does. And money is an inanimate object, but it'll take on the nature of whatever's holding it, whoever's holding it, the heart that's holding it. So when it's in your heart to put God first, that's shown up in these ways. Malachi talks about bringing in the full tithe. Um, If you study out the book of Malachi, that's a book on honor and respect towards God. And he talks about how, return to me. And then he goes on and says, by bringing in this full tithe. And then what happens? Again, we're talking about laws that bring increase. God wants you to increase. He's shown us and told us how. Here's the steps. God first it like this. So he says, bring in the full tithe. What does it say he'll do? He throws open the windows of heaven. I mean, that's, it's termed like that. Throw open the windows of heaven. And pour out blessing until there's no more room to receive it. That is how it's said like that. So we see his heart to increase us. Follow the steps that he has set out. Uh, I'll just mention this. I think I'll talk about it more um, another time. But you know, I was thinking about the children of, of Israel. When they, first, when they crossed over the Jordan to uh, begin to take the Canaan land. Remember that? That first city they came to, Jericho, did you know that was a devoted city? They were not to keep anything. That was all devoted to the Lord. So you see from the beginning, there's been this principle of God first. And then what? The whole rest of the land was theirs. But that first city, his. Part of that, that like a first fruit. Like. Anyway, we will, we'll look at that more, but that is the principle him first, God first. Settle that in your heart, and you will. You, as we act on that word, we will be increased. We will walk in the blessing of, that he promises. and He's so worthy of our honor. He's worthy of it. So let's take a hold of our tithe. Let's honor him with it. Thank him for being so good. Father, I thank you for your word, and I thank you that you have given us ways and laws of increase, that your heart is to see us flourish and, and to do well, to prosper. So Lord, we just bring you the tithe. We honor you with it. We want to honor you with our life. Lord, I ask you to bring us more revelation on these things. Open up our understanding on how we could do this more fully. And Lord, I just Lift up any needs that are here and are represented here in this house. Lord, I thank you for your word and for your promise to provide and be our supply. So we thank you for the answers and the provision in the name of Jesus. And amen. And the ushers can pass the baskets and the people will give to the Lord. All right, uh, a couple of things, actually, a lot of things in the bulletin. So We're still in need of wool socks and winter gloves. There's a basket in the lobby that you can place those in. And I believe, are those also going to City Gate, or is that another Lancaster City Gate? Those wool socks and winter gloves we're collecting will go to them. The Christmas outreach is for the babies of Lancaster. So we're collecting diapers, baby wipes, and formula. And aligned pregnancy uh, services will be getting those items. So again, that box is in the in the lobby for that. So our Christmas parties coming up. So how many of you were at the Christmas party last year? Raise a hands. All right. How many of you plan to attend this year? All right, awesome. So we would just love to see your names on the back. And uh if you can make that happen tonight, that would be so appreciated. Makes it so nice when we know who's coming. Whether it be two or a hundred, is great to know. So, thank you for helping us out in that way. Also, we're collecting our C.W.I. family Christmas cards. So, if you want, you can put them in a box. We have that on the back table, and we'll help you pass those out.